Good evening. Let's stand together tonight. Lord, in these next few moments, I just pray uh, you would speak clearly to our hearts. We thank you for this past year, and we've walked through grief together. We've walked through celebrations together. Father, we've seen people come to know you. We've uh, seen great things happen and people grow in you, and prayer, many prayers answered. And Lord, as we go into 2017, many face challenges and many face great aspects and dreams of what comes tomorrow, and we just turn to you right now and just pray that you would lead us. Lord, we know you will. Help us to follow. <laughs> we know that the question of your leading is not a question. It's, it's our following that is the question. So, Lord, give us wisdom to follow, to be obedient, to step out in faith, to be miracle starters, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. It is good to see you tonight. Happy New Year. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up, uh, get your iPhone out, open it up to John chapter 6. I want to talk to you about being, as we look at the next year, last year at this time we talked about being all in, and, and many of us have, have repeated that phrase and been challenged by that phrase this year, and this year I want to start with challenging you to be a miracle starter. I, I want to talk to you about how to be a miracle starter in life tonight. Now, as we get into that, I want to remind you, as you came in the door, you should have gotten one of these uh, anniversary pledge cards. Did anybody not get one? If you didn't get one, raise your hand, and Usher will bring one down to you. Many of you have already filled this out, and what we want you to do, if you've already filled it out, is put your name on it and check, uh, I already made a commitment. Check yes, right there on that. All right, while I'm preaching, you can do that. That's something you can fill out and keep you entertained while I'm up here talking to you. On the other side, if you haven't filled one out, out yet, let me tell you, we, we, we had a great response. A lot of people responded, uh, very pleased with the response. But to be able to do all the ministry and things that we want to do in 2017, we, we need about 100 more people to join us in this commitment. And so your, your willingness to say, you know what, I haven't made a commitment, I'll, I'll give an extra $500 this year, I'll give an extra 1000 this year, I'll give an extra 3000 this year to help the church move forward, will make a tremendous difference in our ministries this year. And so I want to challenge you, let the Lord speak to you throughout the next few moments. And if you haven't filled one of these out yet, to do one and take a step of faith with us for this next, for this next year. Uh, that'll be a tremendous blessing. In John chapter 6... It tells a story uh, of some events that happened in Jesus' day that are really uh, just this amazing, amazing story. Listen, listen to it. Jesus has been doing miracles. Some things have been going on. Uh, the people have been following Jesus. It was a pretty, a pretty amazing time. And so this huge crowd is following after Jesus. And it says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and uh, there he sat down with his disciples. 
Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing what a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, verse 6 is an interesting verse. Look at it with me. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of us, for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but, but what are they with for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so men sat down. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had, who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Father, today, let your word encourage us, strengthen us, and move in us today. We, we just ask you to touch us today, Lord, with your spirit. And Father, bring us alive in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want your faith to be built tonight. Look at, look at this story just a little bit. First of all, look at the crowd. 5,000 men, we know there were others that had been following after Jesus because of his miracles. They wanted to see amazing things done. Maybe they need amazing things done in their own life. And at this point in time, they'd been following Jesus for such a, a stretch of time that they needed some food. They needed some sustenance. You have Jesus there. He sees the crowd. He has sympathy on the crowd. He knows their need. No one seems to imply or to think that Jesus is responsible to, plead, to feed the crowd except Jesus. He sees the need, which is great news for us to understand this, that Jesus sees our needs. He, he knows the great things that we need, and he's not too busy for the small things that we need. Your need that you face in 2017, he is not unaware of it. He's taken note of it already. Jesus, even at those moments as he saw the need, Jesus, before anybody said anything, before anybody asked for anything, Jesus intended to meet the need. His intention was to take care of these people. It's great to note that Jesus had the power to meet the need. It wasn't a question in his mind of what he was going to do and how it was going to get done and that the ability was there to get done. They, they didn't know he had the power to meet the need. They weren't aware that he had that kind of power, he'd do that kind of thing. But he had the power to meet the need. 
And we take note in this story that a little is enough in Jesus' hands. Many times to us, the thing that seems to be coming our way doesn't seem to be enough. But in Jesus' hands, it's always enough. But I also find it interesting that Jesus put some of his leaders to a test. He tests us from time to time, folks. Do you know that? He lets what's inside of us come out of our mouths. He lets us decide something. He lets us proclaim something. And the scripture is very clear that he looks at Philip, already knowing what's in his, in his, um, in his heart, and he says to Philip, he says, Philip, uh, where are we going to buy food for all these people? What are we going to do? They say, well, why, why Philip? Philip had been with him from almost the very beginning. Philip was probably with him at the marriage of Cana. He'd seen the miracles happen. He'd seen many things already take place. Seen the water turned into wine. And Peter's, and our, our Philip's, I'm sorry, Philip, Philip's response is that the number's huge and we don't have enough for it. And I want to tell you, that was the wrong answer. It was the wrong answer. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was testing Philip. Philip is one of the disciples who'd seen so many miracles. The right answer that Philip should have come up with was this. We don't have enough, but you can do anything. Christian, that's the answer that's got to be down in our heart. Hey, I don't have enough to fix this, but God, anything's impossible with you. I don't have the answer for my wayward son or my wayward daughter, but you do. You do. I don't have the answer for what's going on in our world today, but God, you do. You've got the answer. That needs to be, deep, be, be embedded deep down in our spirit. Whatever your face, God, the doctors don't have an answer today, but you do. You've got an answer. I know you have an answer. There's power in your hand. And whatever you want to do, you can do it. That's the right answer. That's the answer needs to get. Philip hadn't gotten it yet. He'd seen a lot of stuff. He'd witnessed a lot of stuff. He'd been around Jesus a lot. And when Jesus looks at him and puts him to the test, he looks at him and he says to him, uh, what, are you, what are we going to do? Where are we going to buy things? And Philip just misses it. He, I mean, he swings and it's a strike. <laughs> I, I, we don't have enough money for this. How many miracles have been stopped because somebody said we don't have enough money for this? How many miracles in people's lives have been stopped? Christians' lives. Because they look and they say, oh, I don't have enough money to tithe. I don't have enough money to give a little extra. I don't have enough money for that. How many miracles get stopped because we make the same mistake as Phil? We don't have enough for this. Now, Andrew gets a little closer. And Andrew's standing there, and he's a bit closer. He says, uh, he says, well, well uh, we, we, we've got this little boy over here. And he's got, you know, five barley loaves and two fish. <laughs> but what are they in front of a crowd of 5,000 people? He's not quite there either. He's not, he's not quite to that point either. And, and Jesus looks at all that in the middle of that and he just kind of, I don't know, probably shakes his head a little bit and goes, when are these guys going to get it? Okay, just 
Just have them sit down. I'm going to take care of this for you, fellas. Now, I've always been interested because I've read a lot and I've never heard, I've never come across anybody talking about the boy. Where'd the boy come from? They've been out for days doing stuff and this boy's there. The crowd had been following Jesus for a while. They're away from anything. That's part of the problem with getting food. They're away from anything. Whose boy is it? Is he some relative of one of the followers of Jesus? We don't know. Is he, is he just some curious kid that worked his way up to where the action is? You know, there's, there's kids that do that. They just kind of work their way up to where the action is. Kind of wander through the crowd. I'm kind of thinking in my mind, maybe this is one of these kind of kids, you know. He's there. The action's up there. He's going to get up there and see it. He's small enough. He can squeeze through the legs. He can get up there, and he can be a witness to what's going on. So here he is, this little boy with a few loaves and a few fishes. Jesus and the disciples and 5,000 men out there that are hungry. And Andrew sees his food. Now, I don't know what you think. I, I don't think it went this way. I don't think Andrew had been eyeing his food for a while. Like, the kid's got some food. Wonder if I can get that food. Hey, Jesus, he's got some food. Want me to take it from him? I, I, don't, think, I don't think Andrew was ripping the food out of the kid's hands. I, I think it's more likely this is one of these kids who kind of, in the middle of it all, you know, didn't understand the enormity maybe even of the moment. And while all this discussion is going, he's hearing them talk about food. And in my mind, I kind of picture this little kid kind of tugging on Andrew's clothes. And what, what, what you want, kid? He goes, I, I got some food. And Andrew's looking down and he's going, yeah, you do, kid. Good for you. Hey, Jesus, this kid, this kid over here, get a load of this, Jesus. This kid says he's got, he's got five loaves and a couple of fish over here. You know, what's, you know, what's that? And Jesus blows our mind by going, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. And here comes this little boy who now becomes a miracle starter. The only one who really got it right besides Jesus. Right in the middle of this thing. Some of you today are in tight places. Next year's you face some challenges. I want to remind you today, a little is enough. We just have to be willing to share what we have and let, put it in Jesus' hands. My dad used to tell a story about me when, when I was, was little. I don't remember this happening. I, I just heard him tell this story a, a lot of times. I was too little to remember the events. But apparently we'd had a, had a week, a, a day where we had a ice on the ground like we did a few weeks ago and he and I were going someplace and as we got went out to go out to wherever we were going out to the car or something to cross the street or something he looked at me and he said give me your hand and I said why and he said because uh, you know if you slip I, I don't want you to fall I want to I want you to have my hand I'm going to protect you there's ice on the ground so I'm this little kid you know I give my dad my hand, and we're, walk, we're walking down the street. He said, it wasn't far down there that he slipped. About lost his balance. He's doing everything he can to stay on top, on, on his feet. 
And finally, he gathers himself. He doesn't fall. He stays on his feet all the while he's been holding my hand. And when he got, got back on his feet, I looked up at him and said, good thing you had my hand. <laughs> you know, we need to get this. We serve a God who never slips. We slip, serve a God who never stumbles. We serve a God who's never going to fall. And he's offered us his hand. And if we walk with him, sometimes we may think that he needs us to do something. He doesn't need us to do anything, but our obedience to him keeps us safe. We need to trust him and we need to follow him. We need to remember that the God that we serve is a great God. That we have a father offering his hand who's testing to see if we believe and who wants to know if we'll offer what we have. This little boy was a miracle, a miracle starter. A part of a story that we tell 2,000 years later. I think someday in heaven, I, I'm looking forward to some of the things I'm gonna get, we're going to get to see in heaven. I think someday in heaven I'm going to be walking down one of the golden streets somewhere and somebody with me is going to nudge me and say, Hey, see that guy over there? That's him. That's who? That, that's the little boy with the loaves and the fishes. That's the one we all read about and heard about for so many years. That's the little kid right there. And I think, I think that little boy grew up and told that story to his family the rest of his life. He, I think he says, I, gotta, I know you've heard this before. I've got to tell it to you again. I was there. You all know I was there? I was there. They were all there. There's thousands of people there. They were all over the place. They were hungry. I kind of snuck up and got up there and I heard Jesus talking and he was saying, look at all these people who are hungry. What are we going to do about it? And they were like talking about how they're going to buy enough food and, and Jesus was just looking at them like, you know, what's wrong with you people? And, and I said, hey, I got some food. I got some food. And you know what happened? He took it. He took the food. And they had everybody sit down. And he began to pray and break it. And it never ran out. I stood there watching basketful after basketful after basketful. Until everyone was filled and they collected more than I had given him in the first place. Now, what do you think? Do you think I believe he's the son of God? You bet I do. I saw what he did. See, he got to be a part of a miracle. He got to be a part of something that only God could do. So we head into 2017. My question for you is, are you willing to be a miracle starter this year? Are you willing to let God use you to do something special? Do you want to be a part of some life-changing God stories this year? Are you willing to be involved? I'll tell you, it takes some courage. It takes some boldness. It takes a willingness to say, I may not have anything else to eat after this is done. But here's what I've got. Let's see what God does. I was talking with uh, Bob Purvis 
earlier this week, and he and Lorna had been out. I told him today I was going to share this story. He and Lorna had been out to eat. And there was a man sitting alone that was pretty distraught. I think he was even weeping. And they felt like they should say something to him to encourage him, but before they could, could get to him, he got up and he left. They thought they'd missed the chance. But as they were leaving the restaurant, they saw him sitting out in the parking lot in his car. And, and Bob said, you know, I, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. And he walked over and he told them, he said, I couldn't help but seeing you, that you're upset. And I, I don't mean to get in your business, but I want you to know that God loves you. That God has a plan for you. God's going to get you through whatever this is that you're facing. And the man looked up at him and he said, I just got off the phone with my pastor and he told me the very same thing. Now, what do you think? Do you think God wanted that man to get a double dose of that message? He was going through something that had him broken and God wanted him to know loud and clear that God had this thing. He, he was smart enough to call his pastor and he got a good message from his pastor. And he's sitting there just kind of soaking it in when God sends Bob over to knock on his window and say, man, I don't want to butt into your business, but I just felt like I've got to say this to you. You know what? That, that's, a, that's a miracle in that. That's, a, that's God intervening in somebody. Just a little small way where somebody's walked across the parking lot and said, man, I don't want to butt into your business, but maybe God's got something for you right here. See, we just have to be willing to let the Spirit of God use us. Here's what I found about people over the years as I've been a pastor. Some are just resistant to God. I, I don't understand it. They want to do their own thing. They don't want to follow God. They want to ignore the reality of God. Some people are just resistant to God. Those people usually are not at church on New Year's Eve. Unless they're a teenager and mom and dad drug them along. That's the only way they're here. Some are, are, are aware of God. They believe in him. They want to go to heaven. They just don't want God to mess with their lives too much. They just don't want the real reality of God to begin to alter them too often. So, you can talk to them about tithing. You can preach about it week after week after week. They're not going to hear it. They're definitely not going to do it. You can talk to them about developing a prayer life. And they may pray at church time and they may pray over a meal, but they're not going to go shut themselves in alone with God. They're just not going to let God, the reality of God, impact them that much. You can talk to them about uh, about prayer and, and at times of desperation, maybe. You can talk to them about reading the Bible, but, you know, their Bible's going to be pretty bleak when you open it up. You can talk to them about coming on a Wednesday night for, to grow in discipleship and to learn about God. And they're going to sit in church and go, boy, that's great. The church is doing great things. I'm not, I'm not coming. I'm not going. You can talk to them about being in small groups or being in ministry and in and, and, and the back of their, their head they're just sitting there going, that is not happening. You're not getting me to do that. I want to get to heaven. I want to be confident that I'm a Christian. But don't ask me to go too far. And that's where they leave. 
And only God will know the final judgment upon that person. This person wants enough of God to make it to heaven, but he's never going to give up the loaves and the fishes. Then you have the more cooperative follower. He believes and wants to follow. But there's a little bit of skepticism in him. He didn't want to be taken by anybody. You've got to convince him of everything. If you can get him alone long enough and, and show him the scriptures enough and give him the right place enough, you can convince him that tithing is biblical. And once you do, he'll do it. He'll do it. Takes a while. Takes a lot of effort. Because he's holding back and he's holding on. Now once he starts... He'll say things like, wow, I wish I'd have done that sooner. Wish I'd have done that sooner. You can talk to me about small groups and get up and do presentations and have testimony videos and do all kinds of things about small groups. And he's just a bit resistant. He's just not kind of a small group kind of guy, you know. He's just not the kind of person that, that does things like that. But finally, you get his arm twisted enough. and You get enough friends putting pressure on him. He goes, okay, I guess I'll go once. And then you guys all get off my back. And he goes and he finds some life in it and goes, Hey, this isn't what I thought. This is pretty good. He, he's a follower. He just has, he's got to convince him to get there. This is the guy. This is the, this is the person that he has no plans to ever go on a missions trip. No, don't talk to me. I, I'm never going on a mission. He is, he is, you know, he, he's, he's just not doing that until, you know, a few friends start saying they're going and they ask him to come along. And he's like, no, man, that's, that's not me. That's not me. And then God begins to touch him and convict him in services. And he's like, oh, I don't really want to do that. And then his wife tells him, you know, you ought to do that. It'd be good for your marriage if you did that. With real uncertainty, finally says, okay, I'll, Jim and Joe are going, I'll go this once. And he comes back transformed. He comes back changed. He hears the talk about having to talk with the people he knows in his life and sharing faith with them, but he makes zero plans to do it. If he's cornered, he will, but he has to be cornered. He's not offering up the loaves and the fishes on his own. He has no intention of ever walking up to a stranger and saying anything that God's told him to say. Hey, I think I need to tell you that God loves you and he's watching over you. No intention of ever doing that. He loves God. If absolutely cornered, be absolutely getting convinced He'll be obedient because he loves God. But boy, you've got to corner him. Uh, there's another type of follower of Christ. You have the why not follower of Christ. And this is the one I want to encourage you to be in, in 2017. This is the gal that when she hears a challenge to read the word daily, she goes, why not? Why wouldn't I do that? What's really keeping me from doing that? They hear the appeal to missions and 
they hear the need around the world and instead of having to be caught, they're like, well, why wouldn't I give to missions? Why, why wouldn't I take some of the resources God's given me and bless people around the world? Why wouldn't I be a part of that outreach event? What, what can I do to help them? What can I do to make it happen? Maybe I can't go that day, but man, can I, can I do something? Can I send some clothes? Can I, can I you know, donate something? Can I help some way in the planning? Can I, why wouldn't I want to be involved? Why wouldn't I get involved in a ministry? Why, why wouldn't I find a place to serve in the church I say I belong to? Why wouldn't I step up? Why, why wouldn't I? It's worship time. Why wouldn't I worship? He saved me. Heaven's my home. He's with me. Why wouldn't I, with all of my heart, lift my hands to him and worship? Well, you know, I wasn't raised that way. Why, why weren't you raised? Be raised a new way. See a new thing. Why wouldn't you worship God with all of your heart? Why wouldn't I have the talk with people I love that are going to spend eternity someplace. What on God's green earth am I so afraid of that I'd rather be uncertain of their eternal destiny than give them every chance to come to Christ? Shortly after I came home to be a youth pastor, Doris and Luther Miller moved to Springfield and began attending Calvary. And in those early days, they were there. I was a youth pastor. And, uh, you know, our paths didn't cross a lot, just a little bit at different things. And we had some <laughs> fun, interesting inter- interactions. And I remember after a number of years, uh, Luther told me one day, he said, uh, you know, pastor, the first time your dad had you preach on a Sunday morning, I thought, I don't know if this guy's got it for adults at all. He said, but now I know. I'm here to help you. Luther was a, you know, they moved, had to move back to Kansas this last year. And, but he and Doris became pillars in this church and a great examples of why not believers. The church on Sunday night, why wouldn't I go? There's small groups, why wouldn't I be in one? We're doing an, we're, 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 we're doing an outreach or we're having missions, why wouldn't I be a part of that? They were why not believers? See, what kind of a believer are you? What kind of a believer are, are, what kind of a way are you? Miracle starters are why not believers. Why wouldn't I do that? For, for what purpose can I come up with that I wouldn't be a part of good things when they happen and want to offer things and offer the loaves of the fishes? My grandfather was raised Roman Catholic through a really tough set of circumstances and some health issues and his first wife's life who would eventually die from these things, uh, he ended up moving to the Midwest. And, and they got involved with a tent evangelist back then. It's where, where he really came to know Christ as a Savior and became a Spirit-filled believer. At first... He was just uh, the guy who helped set up the tent and set up the chairs. That was his involvement. And as time went by, his involvement graduated from helping set up the chairs and the tent to leading worship. 
And he would lead worship and sing. He wasn't a great singer, but he could, he could sing, and he did. And then that graduated to uh, him pastoring the church that was left behind when they would go into these cities. They would go in and people would get saved. They would leave a church there and somebody had to stay and help them get started, help them get moving, help them get on their feet until somebody could come in and pastor that church and then uh, they would come in and pastor so he would stay and help hold the church together and get this new church started. By this time, his first wife had passed away. He had remarried to my grandma and they were pastoring one of these little churches, late 1930s. He comes home one day and walks in the door. They've got four or five kids at this time. And my grandma looks at him and says, uh, we don't have anything for dinner tonight. We got nothing. And he said, uh, okay, well, Set the table. She said, you don't understand. I didn't say we only have a little bit. We've got nothing. He said, no, I understand. I want you to set the table. Her being a faithful wife, obedient wife, said, well, okay. And she set the table. He gathered the kids in after the table was set and set them all down and set her down. And he sat down at the head of the table, and bowed his head and said, God, you're our provider. Just sitting here thanking you right now for what you're going to provide for us tonight. How you're going to take care of us tonight. You're a great provider. While he's praying, there's a knock on the door. They get up and they walk to the door and there's these two ladies they've never seen before, we'll never see again. They're from two states over. They're in Illinois. My grandpa, grandpa and grandpa, they're from Ohio. And as he opens the door, he goes, can I help you? They said, yeah, we're looking for a preacher named Pano. He said, you found him. What can I do for you? They said, well, a couple of days ago, back in Ohio where we're from, God spoke to us. And he told us to drive over to this city to find a preacher named Pano that he needed some food. We've got some food for you out here in the car. And they walked out, and the back seat was loaded with food. The trunk was loaded with food. And they carried that food. Now, you've got to realize, this was back before the Internet where you could get on and say, is there really a preacher in that city named Pano? <laughs> Couldn't do that back then. 
You couldn't get on the directory system. Is there, a, is there anybody in that city named Pano at all? No, you couldn't do that back then. There were no interstate highways to drive. These two ladies over in Ohio praying one day, God said to them, hey, I've got a preacher over in this town over here. I want you to drive over there. I want you to fill your car up with groceries. I want you to take it to them. I want you to bless them. And they got in their car. They started driving through all these little towns and little communities. And at just the right moment, at just the right hour, when, there, when our family was sitting at the dining room table with nothing on the table but plates and forks and knives, a knock comes on the door because God's timing is always perfect. I want to tell you, they didn't stay for dinner. They said, we're supposed to give this to you and go home. We don't know their names, but for the past 80 years, our family has talked about two ladies that showed up from Ohio at a desperate moment of ministry in our family's lives and provided the miracle that God had for our family at that hour. I've heard that story told since I was a young boy from different family members who sat as kids around that table. And whenever I begin to think that maybe the cupboard's empty for this, that, or the other, I am reminded that I serve a God who fills up empty cupboards. I serve a God who shows up at just the right time. I serve a God who meets our need if we'll be faithful. If we'll put our faith in him and trust in him, he will supply when, he, when it's time for, uh, for it to be supplied. And yeah, give the Lord a clap off. I, and once again, I believe someday in heaven, someday in heaven, I'm going to be walking down, and somebody's going to say, there they are. Those are those two ladies. You didn't know their name. There they are right there. They were miracle starters. And listen, when you're a miracle starter, the story gets told for years. That little boy, it's been being told for 2,000 years. Those two ladies in our family, it's, being, it's been being told for the last 80 years. That story gets repeated of remember a time when our family was in great need before many of us were even born and God showed himself to be faithful because somebody would be a miracle starter. Sunday school teachers, I want you to know, small group leaders, Greeters, ushers, choir members, youth, youth group leaders. Stories are told about a day in your class. Stories are told about a teacher who loved me so much that I always wanted to be there. Stories are told about a youth group leader who sat, at a, at, sat late at night at a camp and shared stories with a young kid till faith was built in their life. Till somebody that didn't feel love suddenly felt love of a leader who invested of a song that moved somebody's heart in a time of crisis or a time of searching of a food basket that touched a family at just the right moment of a church that built into somebody's ministry or a school that offered a scholarship to somebody that couldn't have it. Stories are told because people get involved and do what God tells them to do and God uses them for a miracle in some Somebody's life. Together and separately, we can be miracle starters, but we have to be obedient to the things that are in front of us. 
You know, my, my brother-in-law, Bob, has been on the move the last couple of weeks doing stuff, and I told one of the stories a week or so ago. <laughs> he was in a store the other day, and there was an older lady there, and she was trying to check out, and, and for some reason, her debit card or credit card didn't work, and she was trying to find enough money to get the things that she wanted to, wanted. And so Bob stepped up and said, here, let me help you. And he just swiped his credit card. It was 25 bucks. Blessed her. Christmas miracle for her. He told the stories to some friends, because I, I think he should tell these stories to friends, because it encourages them to do something. And Sure enough, one of his friends was out and standing at a store, and a young lady was there, and they'd come up, and on the, on the conveyor belt, there was a bunch of baby food there, and this young lady's trying to buy this baby food, and her card hasn't worked, and she's digging through her purse trying to find another means of payment, and so uh, this, this family, they, 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 they thought, well, Bob did it, well, we could do it too, and so they stepped up, and they swiped their card. They hadn't noticed the items that were already bagged and in the, <laughs> in the cart in front of them, and it rang up to over $500. <laughs> now, I can imagine there's a few of you in here tonight, you'd pass out right at that very moment, wouldn't you? <laughs> they took a big gulp, and Bob never told me who this family was, so I don't know who they are. But they said, okay, okay. Some of you are thinking, I want to be used of God. Maybe not that much, but I want to be used of God. But think about this for a moment. I don't know what the faith background of that young lady was. But do you think that she'll ever have the chance to look, at, look into heaven and say, God, where are you? When God won't take her back to that line and say, I was right there. God, will you take care of my needs? Think he'll remind her of that story? Do you think if she ever questions God's love, that the Spirit of God won't take her back to that moment in that story? Do you think that maybe in her family that story will be told for a long, long time? Listen, if you want to be a miracle starter, it may require a few barley loaves. It may mean walking across a, a parking lot to a window of a stranger and saying, hey, I, I think I, I need to tell you that God loves you. It, it, may, it may mean buying a meal for somebody. It may mean giving a pledge that makes a ministry happen. It may mean a missions trip to go someplace that you'd never dreamed of going. It may mean a meal bought. It may mean hearing God and looking for a family and blessing them. It may be small and it may be the most generous gift you've ever given to anyone. But to be a miracle starter, you have to hear God and obey. And sometimes people will say, well, what if I do that and they don't really deserve it? Let me just help you out. None of us deserve it. You don't deserve what God gives you. I don't deserve what God gives me. None of us deserve it. So let's stop worrying about who deserves it and who doesn't deserve it. 
And let's just realize we've gotten a lot of things we don't deserve and God may want to give it to some other people who don't deserve it either. And maybe in the middle of that, he'll do a miracle that'll change their lives. I want to be a miracle starter this year, don't you? I want to be that person that God says, go talk to them. Sucks it up and goes and talks to them. That takes the step in little ways and sometimes great ways. It all started with Jesus being a miracle starter for us. Coming to this earth, giving his life, dying on the cross so that anyone who would call on his name could be saved. He didn't wait till we were good enough. He just saw the need and responded. Aren't you glad he did? Then let's be like him. Father, we bow our hearts before you today. In the next few moments, we're gonna close this service with communion. And remember that you were the, 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 the miracle starter that came and died for us. And so today, Father, we pray you'd help us to be miracle stars. Father, there's some who need, uh, need to, you want to call them to help the church with a miracle tonight, to step up and say they'll do some to help with this financial pledge. And I pray that they'd be obedient to that and follow you. I pray we'd look and see what kind of a follower are we. And that we would determine tonight we want to be one that says, why not? Why not? Why not jump in and go and give it a run? In Jesus' name. Let's close this night by coming down around the altar together and just continue to worship him as we come.